This week on Writers, Inc. I think outlines are really helpful. Um, I think that they cut out, or they help to cut out what, what to me is, is, is one of the problems with books that don't quite make it, which is marching in place. All of a sudden, it just, you know, it started out really cool and hot, and then all of a sudden, it's just kind of going over the same turf. Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's In. JD, welcome back, man. How's it going? Hey, how are you doing, man? Good, good. I've, uh, to say I've been looking forward to this episode would be a bit of an understatement. <laughs> this is this is definitely a different one i think uh, it, um cool cool interview for sure though and again i've got to apologize for whatever noise is happening behind me i've got people pounding i've got somebody building a door upstairs somebody else putting in floors um all, all kinds of craziness happening over here this will be a nice time capsule for you like you know a, a few years down the road you can listen back to these episodes you're like oh i remember when they were in, working on our house every day and now it's so quiet yeah, like PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'll work it out in therapy at some point. <laughs> hey, before we talk a little bit about Patterson, uh, any any sort of news or updates on, on the new book you've got coming out in March or sort of where that is in the process? Anything you want to mention about that at this point? No, I mean, it's, it's doing really good. Um, I, I followed, you know, like I brought this up a million times. I've kind of followed the same pattern that like Random House would do. So right now it's up on NetGalley and, you know, a lot of publications are reviewing it. And, um, you know, so far everything has been fantastic. I mean, all four and five star reviews from everybody that good. sees it, um, which is good. It, it had me a little worried because, you know, it is a departure for me. Like it's a, you know, I, I don't want to say a slower story because it's not really a, a slower story. It's still a fast paced suspense novel, but it takes place over, you know, like 30, 40 years or whatever. So it's, it's just a very different story from anything I've ever written. So I wasn't quite sure how it was going to be received by the people that like, um, you know, like the fast pace of Fourth Monkey and some of this other stuff that I've done. But right. it, it seems to be going over really well. So fingers crossed there. Um, and I, I'm trying, you know, a couple new things. I, I worked out a contract with a company called Baker and Taylor. Um, which is a, a distributor. Um, normally, Ingram Spark handles my hardcover, um, but Baker and Taylor, they kind of handle all the libraries in the country. Um, so, you know, as an indie author, you know, a lot of people overlook both of those. A lot of them just kind of jump on KDP and they get their soft cover out there and, and their ebook and they kind of let it go. And they're really losing, they're losing a lot of business. They're leaving a lot on the table by not throwing a hardcover out there. Right. Um, Ingram Spark has like libraries can order from Ingram Spark, um, but for the most part, most of them use Baker and Taylor. Um, which is a weird dynamic because Baker and Taylor actually gets their books from Ingram Spark. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like a middleman. But if you're not there, it's very difficult to get your, your hardcover book um, or any indie published title for that matter into a library. 
uh, and it's a huge market. I mean, thousands of libraries all over the country that, you know, most people forget are, are there. And, you know, a lot of them, once you get in their system and, and readers start requesting your books, you know, they could read one or two, they go to the librarian and say, hey, can we get another one? Um, you know, a lot of libraries are, are automated. So if they've got like three copies of your book and all three are checked out and a certain number of people reserve it, it'll automatically order another one. Um, so it's a really nice revenue stream. Indie authors should definitely jump on that or at least investigate it. Yeah, for sure. And definitely, uh, we definitely know that libraries don't like ordering uh, from KDP print for their books. <laughs> No, KDP is still, you know, it's, it's that, that black horse out there. Nobody wants to talk about her, that, the, you know, the wicked stepchild or the, the cousin that people hide in the corner. Like it's, um, I, I think it's coming around in a couple of years. I think it, you know, they're not going to have a choice. I, I yeah. think they're gonna, it, it's just, it's, it's just too big of a monster to, you know, to ignore. Uh, but at, at the moment they're, they're all doing their best to, to try and pretend it's not there. Yep. Well, uh, speaking of monsters, as in monsters of the industry, <laughs> Uh, why don't, can you, maybe I think you should sort of talk a little bit about like James Patterson, your relationship with him and how he ended up on our podcast. Yeah, he's a, a really cool guy. Um, I, I originally sent him a copy of fourth monkey, hoping to get a blurb out of him. And I, you know, I, I mail copies of my books to, to everybody trying to get those, you know, a couple sentences from, from these you know different authors. Um, but, but he actually, he read it, he called me up and he, he gave me an incredible blurb. He called it ingenious, which was you know phenomenal coming from him. Um, and you know, we just started talking and he's, you know, he lives in Palm beach or he's got a house down there and I was in Florida at the time. So we ended up meeting for lunch and talking about working together and that eventually evolved into a, a book project. Um, and you know, we're, we're having a ball just, you know, writing with each other. Um, and, it, and it's funny because like I bought this house up here and right after we moved in, there's, there's a deck out back and I love to sit on the deck and read. Um, but the deck was, was pretty torn up and it needed to be stained. So I was out there one day and I was staining the deck and I had, James Patterson on speakerphone um, while I'm standing the deck and we're talking about Michael Crichton and talking about alien invasions while one of my neighbors walks up and like I'm sitting there, you know, and I had to explain to my neighbor, you know, who I'm talking to. <laughs> and, you know, she, she's an avid thriller reader. So she knew exactly who he was, you know, obviously didn't believe me. Um, but, you know, like I, I was eating dinner that night. And I'm like, God, this is what my life has become. Like, it, it's like that weird, like where I've got to explain stuff like that to, to people. But um, that's, that's kind of the thing. Like he's, he's just, you know, a lot of, a lot of times authors like that, you know, you don't, you see them as celebrities, you know, they're, they're almost not real anymore because they, they're just so big. Um, and he's just a, a normal down to earth guy that's just fun to talk to and, and, you know, loves to pay it forward, which I think you're going to hear in this interview. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And, uh, you know, I was, you and I were emailing, uh, sort of leading up to the recording of it. I was a bit nervous, I think to say the least, because, uh, I mean, I don't know him personally, but he is, you know, he's, he's an icon. He really is. And, uh, I couldn't pretend that he wasn't, but, um, you gave me some good advice. I think we got some good answers out of him from, from certain questions we were willing to ask. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll play the interview and then, uh, we'll come back and talk about some of the, some of the nuggets of wisdom he dropped on us. All right. Can't wait to hear it. James Patterson. I'm really curious uh, what what it's been like writing with J.D. Barker. A disaster. <laughs> you know, but once I start a project, I, I can't back out of it, but I'd like to. Uh, no, it's been terrific. Uh, you know, I, ideally, you want all the projects to be very unique and have their own voice and their own style. And um, as much or more than any of the other books where I've collaborated with somebody, that, uh, our, our, our projects do have their voice and the style. And 
I think both projects have turned out really, really well. So uh, I hope he agrees. But he'll have his chance to sort of say, you know, nope, I don't, don't agree with anything Jim said. <laughs> well, he he did uh, say that you kind of came to the, uh, I guess, the idea table or the first draft with slightly different um, ideas. I know that you, from your master class, you're a very firm believer in outlines and JD is more freeform. So how did that yeah. process work out between the two of you? I think in listening to one another, we've evolved into a little of each, and I think that's an ideal um, situation for both of us. I think outlines are really helpful. Um, I think that they cut out or they help to cut out what, what to me is, is, is one of the problems with books that don't quite make it, which is marching in place. All of a sudden, it just, you know, it started out really cool and hot, and then all of a sudden, it's just kind of going over the same turf. I think help, uh, you know, outlines help you stay away from that. Um, and then, and, and freeform, and I'm always freeform to a certain extent because things happen, you fall in love with characters, uh, you know, a twist comes up in the middle of a book that takes you down a little different road. So I, I think both is, um, you know, both the freeform and the outline is, is you know, I think it's worked well for us and I think it, it, it will work well for a lot of writers. Yeah, interesting. Do you uh, think that that is uh, the preference towards, say, outlining versus more freeform is is more determined by sort of the the writer's own perspectives and experience? Or do you think that, that could I change think over for, time? For 98% of the writers, they really should do an outline. Um, outlines will save them time. It, you, you can... You, know, you do an outline in a limited amount of time, and and it's just so much easier to go back and fix things. And you don't want to get to the end of the book or the middle of the book and go, you know what, this just isn't working. But you can read an outline. You should be able to read an outline and go, this is this is cool. This is going to work. I've got a beginning. You know, somebody said in terms of stories, if you have a beginning and an ending, um, you're considered to be a really good storyteller. And then you have the real magicians who actually have a middle. So um, an outline's help you to, you know, ideally to get a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think especially in a co-writing situation, it w I would imagine it'd be almost impossible. I think in any situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think a lot of writers, they want to just start going, and, and it's frequently it's a mistake. It just takes them so much longer. It's so much more painful. It's really hard if you've written chapters to have to cut them or, you know, like throw out a section and. That almost never happens to me. Almost never. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, I'm I'm curious if you have a uh, a daily routine or a typical day, and if so, what does that look like? Well, I, you know, somebody says you're lucky if you find something that, that you love to do, and then it's a miracle if somebody will pay you to do it. So that's kind of my thing. I don't work for a living. I play for a living. I probably even at this stage do sixty hour weeks. Uh, I, I write seven days a week. Um, some of the stuff, it's it's just me. Some of it's co-writing. Um, you know, I'm getting, I generally like to see, when I'm co-writing, I like to see work every couple, two, three weeks. I think it just helps, you know, to be able to talk and say, yeah, you're great, you know, keep going, or hold it, hold it, hold it. I think we're off the tracks here somehow. I don't like it when a story starts to go sideways instead of forward. Uh, certainly for the kind of thing that I write, it's, it keeps propelling it. Mike Connolly said about my stuff, he said, what Jim does is every single chapter moves both the, the uh, characterization and the plot forward and turns on the movie projector in our heads. I don't know if I deliver that all the time, but I aim for it.
Yeah, you don't strike me as the type of writer who would ever, quote-unquote, retire. I, you know, who knows? I mean, you get tired of it, I'll, you know, that'll be it. <laughs> or if I find that I, that I, I can't really do what I... I mean, I, I, I think I've lost a half-step, um, but... Um, but yeah, but I, I still love it, and I think I, I I think I'm still doing it, you know, fairly well. Yeah, some of the things that I found that uh, won't surprise you, of course, in in my research, and uh, I'm I'm gonna set this up. I think uh, you've you've uh, written 147 novels since 1976. You've hit the New York Times bestselling list 114 times. 67 of those were number one New York Times bestsellers, which also happens to be a Guinness World Record. You've sold about 305 yay, million copies yay worldwide. Yay, for me. <laughs> oh, I'm going somewhere with this. Hey, it's all good. I mean, I don't yeah. care about the numbers. I don't really follow it too much. Um, I, I remember years ago when I was, um, uh, I hadn't had any bestsellers. And uh, I went into, uh, uh, or actually I picked up the New York Times book review and my book was like, Along Came a Spider was number six or something like that. And the publisher hadn't contacted me. I'm like, wow, this must be a misprint, you know. So I went into uh, the local. I happened to be a Barnes and Noble, and and what writers would do a lot of times is is uh, you know we'll watch, and if somebody picks up our book, we're watching them, you know. And uh, uh, if, if if they put it down, it breaks our hearts, and if they if they you know take it out of the store, it, it, it makes our day. And the other thing we'll do, a lot of us, at least I used to, and still do it a little bit, is we count the books. So there used to be 12 copies, and now there are eight <laughs> copies. So I'm in this in this store, and I'm going, hmm, the, 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 the pile is definitely down. It's only about six copies. And then while I'm there, a woman picked up the book. This was a long game of spider. And I'm off to the side, and I'm watching, you know. And she looks through the thing, and then she walks, she tucks it under her arm and she walks down an aisle and then she slides it into her pocketbook. She sold the damn thing. Ah. And all I'm thinking is, does that count as a sale? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, man, I've been through it all. I've been through all the same, the same stuff as everybody else, I think. Well, that's what I'm curious about because I know that, uh, you know, despite all of those sales and achievements, uh, you know, your first book was rejected dozens of times uh, and I'm sure there are 31 many... times. But yeah. It yeah. Yeah. I mean, how yeah, did you I mean, keep it, going? It, it, I, they, well, in those days, the rejections would come fast. Um, you know, they would send it out. In, in those days, uh, you know, there were one. There were a lot more publishers, and an agent might send it out to a dozen houses the same day. Um, so you'd get them back, and, and most most of the rejections were like pleasant enough. They'd say, "Send us the next book" or something like that. Um, and then and then the book went on to win an Edgar's Best First Mystery. So go figure, you know. <laughs> But it did, it did get rejected by, uh, you know, and I, and I keep a, a list of all the editors and occasionally they send me uh, books for blurbs, you know, whatever. Actually, at this point, a lot of them are dead, but, you know. <laughs> and was it the, the uh, was it a radio or TV spot that you did for Long Came a Spider that started to move the needle for that book? I didn't start to move the needle. It threw it on the bestseller list. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I just went and did a TV spot for for nothing. I mean, it's very you know very cheaply thousand dollars, whatever the hell it was. And I, I actually I, t I talked a little bit, and they said, "Well, we don't do. We've never done TV. We're not going to do TV." So I just went and, and and you know filmed the the ad, which was very simple. And I brought it, and they went, "Oh, we like that. We'll run that." <laughs> so they did run it, and then the book. Um, you know, showed up at number six. And then actually, 
um, the head of, uh, of, of the company, of, in those days, Time Warner, called up and he said, oh, we want to run more ads. And I said, I really don't, you know, I don't think you should run anymore. I think, you know, it's done what it can do. And he said, don't tell me what to do. We're running more ads. So they ran more TV ads. And, you know, I think it got up to number two. Along came Spider, yeah, which was yeah unbelievable because I the I actually had had a nonfiction bestseller, Day America Told the Truth, which I think was like fourteen or fifteen on the Times, um, had that a couple of years earlier, but no no fiction, nothing even close to a bestseller. Do you think your time in the in the advertising industry was what may have sparked that idea to to run that video spot in the first place? No, it place? didn't. To run a spot, yeah, sure. I mean, I I mean, I knew that. Ideally, you want to, you know, if you can, you want to talk to millions of people instead of, you know, a couple. Um, I knew that there, you know, the print, there really was any, there was no way to reach a ton of people at that stage, uh, you know, certainly across the country. Um, so, yeah, it helped. I mean, the thing of it, even about advertising, you know, you, you, you might be able to get people to read one book, but then if, if they don't like it, they, they, you know, they're just, I mean, people aren't stupid. You just go, I'm not going to read any more of that guy's or that woman's books. Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's true. It was true then and it's true today, whether you're talking about, you know, paid online advertising or more traditional print media. I think that's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting thing about Oprah's. I mean, she would do all of these folks and they would go out and be number one for, you know, 50 weeks. And then almost always the next book that that person put out didn't sell that well. And because I think a lot of people read that read that first book and said, I don't really like that book that much, you know. Uh, but they just, they, they kind of, if she said they should read it, they read it. And, and, and it's not that the books weren't good. It's just that, you know, uh, readers didn't, didn't love reading the books. It, it sounds like there's some real value in being consistent across your career and doing, you know, really locking in. And so that when you find out first... Yeah, you reader, know, what? I never have advice for people. I just... I, I can lay out what I did, and people might be able to say some of it is relevant to them, and a lot of it isn't. And but I can't. I, I never suggest what somebody should do, yeah. unless it's a co-writer, because my name goes on the book. So. <laughs> exactly. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, the Patterson Family Foundation? Because that's you're doing some incredible things with that. Uh, I, I was just brought up to kind of give back. Um, I grew up in a small town upstate New York, Newburgh, New York now ranked the sixth most violent small town in America. I'm so proud. Um, it was always a tough town. Um, mother was a school teacher. Um, I worked in a public library on Saturdays. And, um, you know, I didn't read a lot as a kid, um, but I was encouraged to, um, you know, I was, a, I was a good student because uh, I wanted to get out of Newburgh. And that seemed like the best way to get out was to be a good student. Um, and, and part of the thing in our household was always to try to give back. So, you know, that's kind of what I do. And, you know, my, my, my father grew up in a Newburgh poorhouse, so he was essentially homeless. His mother was a charwoman, so she basically cleaned the kitchen and the rooms and the bathrooms and stuff. Um, so it's very, you know, modest kind of background. And, um, you know, I, I've said it before, I've been poor and I was middle class and then I was poor again and middle class again, and now I'm rich. And, on balance, I prefer being rich, but um, <laughs> but I'm really happy I went through all of the all of the uh, you know the the the, the uh, states um, because I think it makes you a better person. I think it makes you a better writer, and I think it does um, you know teach you to uh, to try to share um, more than maybe some people do. But we do. I mean, yeah, we do. All, you know, we've got the 
uh, classroom libraries, which we do with Scholastic. And I think last year we supported 18,000 classroom libraries. We have the bookseller bonuses that we'll do at the end of the year, um, which, I mean, the amazing thing about the bookseller bonuses, I mean, literally, I mean, I don't know, there'd be three, 4,000, but almost every bookseller sends, sends back a card saying, you know, how how much they, they appreciate it. And, you know, with booksellers, a lot of them, it's like, you know, they just, a lot of booksellers do not make much or any money. And, you know, they'll write back and say, thank you so much for the gift. I, I got to go see my dentist over the holidays, you know. Um, so that's a real powerful uh, thing that, you know, the way that's worked out. And we have a thing with the University of Florida in terms of, uh, I might be going there tomorrow. I don't know. Uh, percentage of kids reading in, at grade level in Florida is 43%. Um, um, best in the country reading at grade level is Massachusetts at 62%. So nobody's doing very good. University of Florida has been testing a program for five years. They have it up into the 80s. So we're trying to work with the government to get that system across Florida. We have it in, I think, three counties now. So I, you know, or my, my wife and I essentially, I mean, there's no real foundation. Anything I do, it's just basically us. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have, I don't have a bunch of people working for me. Yeah. So yeah. Um, you know, here we are, we're talking and that's kind of the way we do everything. Yeah. Yeah. You have a very hands-on approach uh, for sure. I'm, uh, you know, you've been in this in this industry a long time. You've seen a lot of stuff. Uh, where do you think the industry is going in the next uh, ten or fifteen years? Down the tubes. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, they have to innovate more. I, I, one of the best things, semi important things that I ever did was the book shots, the uh, novella kind of which you could buy for three ninety nine or four ninety nine, what the hell it was. But that scared the hell out of the business. Um, and and. So I kind of said, okay, fine, I'll pull back on it. Um, but that made money the first year, which new new products almost never do. And it wasn't a good, it wasn't, we didn't figure out the design of the product and there weren't enough of them in the stores and whatever. So we didn't really, you know, max that out. Now we, you know, we bundle them into paperbacks and they're usually successful because people like novellas. They just didn't know they liked novellas. But that, to me, was an important thing in terms of innovating. A lot of people don't have the time and the idea of sitting down with 150, 160, you know, like sitting down with a movie almost. And that appeal to, appeals to a lot of people. It's, it, shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a sub, substitute for 500-page books, but it's an alternative. And the book business needs to do more of that. They need to be more aware of, of you, know, uh, you know, what people want to read a little bit. You know, Secret Life of Mushrooms, and not really necessarily a big one for people. And they just publish an awful lot of books, and particularly that they shouldn't publish, and and in particular with kids, where it's it's just vital that um, you know I, I have an imprint for kids, Jimmy Books, and our mission is when a kid finishes the Jimmy book to say, please give me another book, and that's a very simple mission. But if you're true to it, it's really important. And there are millions of kids who have never read a book. I mean, and this is documented, who have never read a single book that they loved. Um, and then, and then, But our thing is make sure that we publish books that we think kids are going to say, I love that, give me another book, as opposed to, I don't, I don't like to read. Yeah. Do you, in your experience, have you seen kids gravitating towards any type of medium? Are they reading paper, electronic books? Does it matter? And they're not. One of the things, I mean, I remember talking to Jeff Bezos once about, I said, you know, like, look, when you wanted, you know, people to go on Kindle and whatever, you, you basically, you would go to the site and you'd say, here, I'll give you a free cargo. <laughs> you know, you pull out the stops. 
And I said, you now have, you know, a third of the country, people not no longer going into bookstores um, and, they, and they read on the Kindle, but their kids don't. Kids have not made the transition to Kindle to, to, to you know, online at all in terms of reading books. Um, and, and I said, if you could do what you did in terms of, of those families that are, that are where the parents are, 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 you know, reading on Kindles to get them to get the kids involved. I mean, you know, have three Kindles in the house. Who cares? That's great. Have some method where the kids can, you know, you can supervise, you parents can supervise the kids buying books. And I don't know, they never really did that. So now we have a situation where a lot of parents don't go into bookstores anymore and the kids don't read on online. And so it's, it's not the ideal situation to put it mildly. Yeah. Well, hopefully the libraries can have um, a resurgence as more of a community center and we can get more books in in the hands of kids that way. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Well, you know, it's a funny thing. I, I Once again, I, I talked to the educators from the University of Florida and I said, you know, when I was a kid and, and my, our small town was you know, pretty poor and, and heavily, you know, uh, white and, and African-American and, and some Hispanic as well. But for the most part, everybody could read. And I said, what the hell happened? And and she said, well, in the 90s, believe it or not, some of these, you know, so-called experts threw out phonics. And she said, phonics actually, is it works. It's part of, 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 of getting kids to learn how to read. To, you know, so you, you, we don't have all these kids not reading at grade level. You know, that, I mean, that's a piece of the puzzle, which, which we've forgotten about. Yeah, yeah. Well, great, Jim. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you this morning. I'm so appreciative of your time. J.D. and I both thank you, and uh, you're just an inspiration yeah, J.D. to will us come all. in and change it all. He'll edit <laughs> and throw out stuff, and, and it'll be the J.D. podcast. But that's okay. That's cool. I'm good with it. All right. There is probably the biggest selling author of our time, maybe of all time, James Patterson. What would you think? Yeah, it's well. First of all, Jim, I'm not going to edit the the interview down. <laughs> he had to take a shot at you, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he, he can't help himself. Um, yeah, and everything that he says, I mean, like the, the virtues of outlining, you know, in, in general, like you know, it's something that he preaches, and and he's right. You know, it's it it's a huge time saver. I, I leave a lot of words on the on the table when I'm all done. When I when I don't do that. Um, and you know, if, if you can, as an author, if you can get to the point where you're, you're outlining your stories and you're getting that outline tight before you actually start writing, it really does save you a lot of time. And it, and it does keep you from, you know, falling into that pit that he mentioned, you know, the, the, the middle, um, you know, so many authors have trouble with the middle of their book. Um, and you know, it never happens with any of his and, and trust me when you're working with him, he does not let that happen. <laughs> Every chapter has got to drive the story forward. It's got to move it in some way, or it just comes out there. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, and just, you know, one of the things I, I saw last night, I, I saw a tweet. Um, it, he, he's actually got seven titles right now on the New York times bestseller list all at the same time. Wow. You know, which is just crazy. Um, you know, so he obviously he knows what he's doing and, 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 you know, just hearing him, you know, being able for, for him to take the time to, to talk to us or just talk to aspiring authors out there, you know, that, that I think shows what type of person he really is. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's clearly beyond that, you know, he's, uh, he, he's talking to some of the most powerful people in the world. And, and as you said, he's got seven titles on the bestseller list right now. And so to take some time to jump on a phone call with some no name guy in Cleveland is, is pretty, pretty nice of him. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, he, he could easily sit, you know, on, on his own deck right now and, and just relax or just hang out on the golf course and, and do none of this, but you know, he, he works tirelessly to get people reading. Um, and he, he touched on it with, with Jimmy books, you know, the, the fact that he's, he's, you know, out there trying to get kids to read. Um, and I know this actually started with his son because his son, Jack wasn't much of a reader when he was younger. Um, and, and he wanted him to, you know, to start picking up books and, you know, Jack was kind of like the model behind, you know, Jimmy books and, and what led to that. Um, one of the things that he said with the mission of Jimmy books is um, is for every kid who finishes the book to say, you know, please, can I have another? Uh, and, and honestly, I, I think that's a goal that, that all of us should have. I mean, I can't imagine living in a world where children stop asking that, that question, yeah. you know, like, can, can I have another book? I mean, I, I, my daughter's only two, but like yesterday she was asking to go to the library because it's, you know, it's something that we do a couple times a week. You know, we are trying to instill that in her. Um, you know, when we take her to the bookstore, like her face lights up, she loves, you know, going into the bookstore. She knows where the children's section is. She, you know, knows where her favorite books are in that bookstore. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of parents, you know, may or may not do, but I, they, they really should. I mean, just ignite that fire in them early and get them reading, get them to pick up a book. I think even as an author, if you, I mean, you know, if you take all of that, all the stuff out around getting kids to read, just as an author, having a re any reader finish a book and go, I want another one of those. Like that's, that's our job. Like that's what we're all trying to do. And so I think even if you extrapolate that out to any author, that works. That's good advice. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing better than seeing a review pop up where you know the person says, "I, you know, I, I can't believe I found this author. I love their book. I'm going out to get the next one, or the next one, and the next one after that." Um, you know, it's it's such a rewarding feeling. It makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. I think the other thing that really struck me about this interview, and you, you touched upon it a little bit, was, you know, he it doesn't seem like he's slowing down. Like this is a guy that's that's really driven. Uh, that he has, he's really kind of redefined collaboration, I think, in certain ways, uh, in, in the way he works with other authors, the way he works with his foundation. And um, it, it just, he's just not stopping. And it's really inspirational. Well, he, he said he lost a half step. Half step, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I can't imagine what his productivity was like before he lost that half yeah. step. Um, I mean, but he, he's, you know, he's like that. Like he, he calls me up, you know, sometimes at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning, you know, like he just, he, or, you know, nine o'clock at night on, on a weekday, like he is working like all the time. Yeah. Um, and he apologizes for it. And I'm like, you know, I'm a workaholic too. So like, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with it, but you know, like he, he, he doesn't slow down and I, I don't think he ever will. I, I, I think he just he enjoys it way too much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was great. It was so cool you were able to uh to to get him on the podcast. I hope it was a, a treat for all of our listeners because you know, if you look online, he, he doesn't do a lot of those types of, of talks. I mean, he goes on, you know, the Today Show and, and <laughs> other things, not necessarily on podcasts. So I I, I was uh really grateful for that and, and glad we were able to make that happen. Yeah, he's a great guy. I really appreciate him taking the time. Yeah, excellent. Uh, well, we do have uh, a little teaser for next week. We're going to do a slightly different episode. Uh, it, we're, we're not going to have an interview next week. We're going to talk a little bit about you and I. Uh, we have a few things to touch base on. Uh, you're going to talk a little bit about your Asperger's and, and how, how you manage that. And uh, we're going to also give an update on my manuscript project. So that will be uh, the episode coming up. And then uh, we'll be back to interviews after that. 
Yeah, I mean, as somebody with Asperger's, I almost feel like I should come with a warning label, like I should have it printed <laughs> on, a, on a T-shirt. Um, I know I talk fast. I know I ramble. I know I do all these different things. And I, 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 you know, being able to sit down and talk about that a little bit, you know, it's helpful for me. And I think from an audience standpoint, I'm hoping that it, it's helpful too, just to give them a little insight into to what's going on in, in not only my head, but, but other people that have Asperger's. Yeah, for sure. Because we all think that the way things roll around in our own heads is the way it is for everyone. And that's not the case. No, I mean, it, it's funny. I read a quote and I can't remember who it was, but it was something like the, the only difference between crazy and sane is minority or, or majority. Um, uh, so basically the, ma the majority decides what, you know, each of those things actually means. So, you know, like people that have Asperger's were a very small group of people. Um, so it's, it's kind of looked at as, as something as a, you know, an outsider type deal, but, um, you know, it's really just a numbers game. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be an interesting conversation. I hope everyone tunes in next week and, uh, yeah, I guess we'll take it from there. So have a great writing week and I'll see you next week, man. All right. We'll talk soon. Bye. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.